Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Italian American podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping Italian Americans learn about their heritage. We do that by speaking to Italian Americans in all different age ranges, professions, and locations. And in this episode, we're focusing on the theme of jazz. I'm your co-host, Anthony Fasano, and I have with me my co-host, Dolores Alfieri, and our Guest for today's episode is Vanessa Rachi, who we both got to meet at the National Italian American Foundation's gala. She's a wonderful Italian American jazz performer, and we're excited about this episode. How are you doing, Dolores? I'm doing very well, Anthony. Really enjoyed speaking to Vanessa. As I mentioned in the show, I've had the pleasure of seeing her perform twice in actually a, a brief span of time. And she's so classy and elegant and very talented. So I, I think our audience is really going to love hearing from her and hearing her music. Yeah, absolutely. She is. She's awesome. And in the story segment, I also chatted with couple of authors, Bill Dalcero and David Anthony Witter, they wrote the book Bebop, Swing, and Bella Musica, Jazz and the Italian-American Experience. And they talk a little bit about kind of the crossover between jazz and the Italian roots, uh, you know, Louis Prima and some of the greats and just really interesting guys. And they, they really have a lot of expertise in this field, which is a very niche, niche field. So it's definitely a very interesting episode on a topic that is, oh, it's part of our culture for sure. And uh, we're excited to kind of get into it. And Dolores, I know that we're getting close to your, uh, your big day. How are you holding up? My wedding, you mean? Yeah. I'm hanging in. I didn't want to I'm say the W word. <laughs> I have to say I've been very, thanks for asking. That's very sweet. I have to say I've been very calm and my family has been very helpful, not surprisingly. But, uh, you know, it's definitely going to be a big New York Italian wedding. Wow. Too much food. Isn't that a movie? <laughs> it should be. I should have a, a film crew following me around yeah. <laughs> plan this. It's going to be beautiful. And we are really, really excited about it. And everybody around us is, which is great. Yeah. My wife already told me I'm not allowed to bring the mobile podcast recorder. <laughs> I thought it'd make a great segment. <laughs> oh, now we're going to listen to Dolores's vows in the story segment. <laughs> Today in our story segment, we have Dolores exchanging her wedding vows. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past us. Oh, oh gosh. It's really funny. Well, thank God for your wife. She's looking out for me. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Oh, all right. So <laughs> we could talk about Dolores' wedding all day. It hasn't even happened oh, yeah. yet. So it's all I talk about. <laughs> so we're going to jump in here. But before I tell you a little bit more about Vanessa, I would like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Mediaset Italia, which is now on DirecTV from AT&T. When your heart is in Italy, but you're here, bring a piece of Italy home. Introducing Mediaset Italia from DirecTV. It's perfect for anyone who loves all things Italia. Enjoy all your favorite Italian programs from channels Canale 5, Italia 1, and Rete 4 on Mediaset Italia. And best of all, you get your favorite entertainment, including shows like Caduta Libera, Mattino Cinque, and Squadra Antimafia. Feel like you're home again with Mediaset Italia on direct TV from AT&T. Again, introducing Mediaset Italia from direct TV. Get Mediaset Italia for $10 a month plus taxes. Call 877-778-4794 to get Mediaset Italia from direct TV. Again, that's 877-778-4794. Mediaset Italia requires activation of a qualifying base package. Hardware available separately at additional cost programming, subject to change at any time. Other fees, restrictions, and conditions apply. Call for details. All right, now I'd like to introduce 
our guest for today's main segment of the episode, Italian-American jazz singer Vanessa Racci's 2017 debut CD Italiana Fresca heralded the breakthrough of a fresh sound in jazz, a sweet and sour, wide ranging alto with a passion and sex appeal born of her Italian American heritage. On the album, she puts a jazzy spin on the Italian songs she heard as a child. Many are updated with her own English lyrics. The album's producer, the renowned bassist David Finnick, has raved about her natural sense of rhythm and flow and her wonderful ability to communicate both musical and poetic language. So with that, Dolores, why don't you bring us into the interview with a quote? So fittingly for what, of course, we see as the beginning of a wonderful career for Vanessa, we chose today a quote from the one and only Dean Martin. If this is just the beginning, my life's going to be beautiful. All right, now we are excited to welcome Vanessa Rachi, Italian-American jazz singer who we both had the pleasure of meeting at the recent NIAF Gala. Vanessa, welcome to the Italian-American podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Vanessa, we're excited to have you on. And as usual, we start our show by asking our guests to talk a little bit about their upbringing as Italian-Americans. Oh, yes. <laughs> Dive right very, into it. <laughs> very fun, colorful upbringing. Um, okay. So I grew up in Thornwood, New York, which is a little hamlet of Mount Pleasant in Westchester County. It's not the fancy part of Westchester. It's more blue collar. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, my dad installs heating and air conditioning systems. My mom did real estate and some purchasing work, but mostly stayed home while we were growing up. And, uh, I think what really shaped me as I grew up was my grandfather living in the basement apartment. Ah. He was the character of the family and um, was definitely what made me unique, I think. <laughs> um, he would pick my sister and I up from from school, make us frittata when we came home. <laughs> and then he was very active. And so he would always go and like run the track. And so we would wave to him during gym class. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> And this is when he was like 85 and like, as long as, as long as I can remember, and he was always old when I was, you know, since I was born, he was running and drinking wine and entertaining women. Like he was a very fun, interesting character. (laughs) Sounds like a great man. Yeah, that's great. Did he um, listen to music? Is that partly what influenced you? Where's the music side of things come from? Yeah. So my family loved music. None of them were good singers, <laughs> but um, <laughs> always play like the Italian American classics in the house, like Sinatra, Dean Martin, Connie Francis, Louis Prima, Lou Monti, et cetera. My grandfather, especially like he came home every day, blasting the music in his car radio. The neighbors actually complained about it. He was, wow. <laughs> he was him that got in trouble, not the teenage daughters and the, <laughs> <laughs> And uh, we used to sing all the time. We used to sing "Jella Luna Mezzo Mare," and uh, I was always a singer since I was four. Wow! I had, you know, we can get into my journey later in singing, but um, yeah, the experience with my grandfather is what really inspired me to record this album of uh, Italian American songs. Well, Vanessa, I think one of the things I'd like to ask you about, and I know Dolores and I <clears throat> often ask this of Italian American performers and artists is, you know, you sang from a young age, like you said, but at some point I'm sure you had to make a decision on to, as to whether, you know, how serious you were going to be about a career in music. And I know that, especially with a lot of like blue collar Italian American families, I know in some respects, well, in a lot of respects, they want their kids to do something that's very stable, not, you know, that's, you know, that's just kind of like the idea of you continue to elevate the family and, and moving up in the different positions. And I, I know that sometimes an arts career could be looked, maybe, you know, people might be like, oh, that's not that stable. So how, how did that happen or right. how did that go? Yeah, exactly like that. 
we've heard this story a couple of times, lived it, et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, yeah, I pursued, I sang all the time since I was four years old, I family parties and it progressed into community theater and then into children's theater. And then I was in a traveling singing children's group called dream coats. Then I did Westchester Broadway and I won a Helen Hayes award at 18 years old for my performance in Phantom of the Opera. And then my parents asked me, well, Vanessa, what do you want to do when you grow up? I was like, I want to be a singer, of course. And they were like, oh, well, that's your hobby, honey. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, what do you mean it's my hobby? That's, that's what I do best. So they steered me to what they perceived to be more stable. I mean, these days, I think we all realize as millennials, there isn't really anything stable. You have to create your own career, as you guys have as well. So I went to school for business, but there was always something missing. And mm. that's when I refound my love. <laughs> yeah. You know, we've, uh, as we said already, we've talked about this often on, on the show. I think when you're younger and you're creative and, and stuff like that, and you have Italian family like ours, um, you're, you're like, why do they want to push me away from this? They don't get it, et cetera. But when mm-hmm. you get older, you realize they went through so much, they suffered so much and they really worked so hard so that we wouldn't. And, Absolutely. You know, and, and nope. No parent, not just Italian Americans, but no parent wants to see their kid, you know, struggling, et cetera. But I agree with you. Times have changed and it's not really, you know, you get a job with IBM and you stay there for 40 years, retire and get a pension done. You know, it's different. Right. Right. Yeah. And their experience, you know, like I I don't blame them like the, you know, the only exactly you act from your experience and, you know, your history. And my mom grew up in Mount Vernon. And when she was younger with her family, they got robbed a couple of times. And, um, my grandfather was a carpenter. Her mother didn't work and they were, you know, always struggling to gather enough money. They were on like a 15 floor walk up or something ridiculous, you know? And so (laughs) she, she's coming from that experience where like, I want you to make money and money is important. And it is. (laughs) That is true. That is true. Well, so let's talk about you know, you, you went to school for business and, you know, you got a job like most of us do, but then you decided strongly that you wanted to pursue an album. Talk to us about what made you really want to pursue this album. And let's get into that because I think, you know, obviously doing something like that is a tremendous amount of work and commitment. And, you know, what was knowing that it was going to be a ton of commitment, probably more than maybe even you thought, what really pushed you to that, to making that decision? Absolutely. So, so after school, I, I found jazz and was singing standards, you know, at night with a trio, probably for around three or four years. And um, I enjoyed it and I love singing standards, but I, throughout the process, I always thought, well, what's next? Like, what am I going to do that's my own, that puts my own mark on this world that has a purpose? And, uh, I was writing originals for a while and I was like, well, you know, like any artist, I'm going to write an album of of originals and, and, uh, record it. And even after I wrote the originals from my heart, I was just like, this seems like it lacks a purpose. (laughs) Like, why am I doing this? And who is going to care? (laughs) And And so I kind of left it for a little while and marinated in it. And, um, one of my grandfathers died on my father's side, I would also sing all these classics with him as well. And uh, I was, it was driving in the car from his funeral singing Aldila because it's a song that he loved. And it kind of just clicked to me. I was like, Oh, Oh my God, these are the classic songs I grew up with that I felt, you know, were kind of dying. And as I was going through the mourning process, I, it was something I wanted to do to not only keep those songs alive for new generations. But, um, I think it was my way of keeping my grandfather's memory alive. Oh, that's beautiful. Now you sing Italian. Do you speak Italian? Uh, io parlo un pochino italiano, ma non molto bene. There you go. <laughs> I, was I, do, I, I speak a little bit in Italian, but I don't have very good grammar. So I sound like a stupid Italian. So I kind of, <laughs> I kind of veer away from it. But when I'm singing, it's much easier because it's already written for me. <laughs> exactly. One, you know, one question I have for you is, do you see 
do you see yourself as kind of staying in this genre? Or is this just, you know, this album? I think I would continue to extrapolate on this, on this genre. Maybe uh, there are a couple of areas I'm exploring. I, unfortunately, after my grandfather passed, I discovered that I was related to Tony Matola. And I know that sounds like ridiculous. Like, how did you not know that sooner? I went through a whole like angry period of why didn't I know the sooner? <laughs> but, um, but, um, my grandfather was a very, he was a wonderful man, but a simple man. He was a carpenter. And he always said, my cousin's a musician. And I was like, Oh, that's great. Grandpa. But he never said it was Tony Matola. <laughs> tell, tell our listeners who Tony Matola is. Yes. They don't know. He's a jazz guitarist and wrote many of Sinatra's arrangements. And he was very famous. He's related to, to, to Tommy Matola, who is Mariah Carey's um, infamous husband. And so that intrigued me now that I know this. And I'm like, I, I have to do something with it. Maybe I go back and look at his old arrangements and do another album reviving them. So I started to like tease that a little bit. And I incorporated his arrangement of Guitarra Romana in my shows, but I haven't yet recorded anything. It's so funny, Anthony, listening to Vanessa tell her story. We've talked to so many passionate, slightly insane Italian-Americans. And we're, <laughs> we're and especially, you know, the younger generation like us, it, it's just like we're just these weird kind of geeky breed of people who just are so in love with our heritage and our families and where we come from. And I'm hearing you basically say the same thing. You're just doing it in a way that I don't I don't know that we've really talked to anybody who's doing it and or I should say expressing it the way you are. But it's as if you're just like the rest of us, your childhood, your culture, what you grew up with is like this treasure chest you keep going back to. Yeah, thank you. And, and I've also written some originals that I'm like bringing into my shows now, again, not recorded yet, but that were based on my experience growing up as an Italian American. A lot of them are around having a very overbearing Italian mother. Yeah, <laughs> like, no, like we I all have... know a little bit about that. like i have a song that's really interesting uh, yeah tell me about that uh, i have a song called mama please believe me and it starts like he was just an innocent boy but so misunderstood and it's all about like her really interfering in my romantic life and (laughs) and uh (laughs) like making me break up with people if she didn't you know believe that they were right for me and at the time it was traumatic now I'm glad she did it because I realized they weren't right for me. But at the time, it was very traumatic. (laughs) I know. I could tell you a hundred stories very similar to that from my own experience. It's so true. I mean, even when we're just talking about, you know, growing up as a a creative person, you think that they are like trying to ruin your life. (laughs) Right. You get older and you're like, gosh, they were right. They were so right. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yep. So one of the things I wanted to ask you a little bit more about <clears throat> is the actual album and the making of the album. And on Vanessa's website, which is vanessaracci.com, there's a video about the making of the album, which, by the way, is called Italiana Fresca. And it looks, for such a short video, I mean, it's not that short, okay. but for this, the time length of the video, it looks like the album, the amount of work is crazy. So I wonder if you could just talk to us about the whole process of, you know, you decided you were going to do this album. Like, did you have any idea of what was involved? Cause it looks like it was just a ton. Oh my God. I knew what was involved, but I didn't really know, you know, you know, like what it takes and the blood, sweat and tears. Like when you see the process on paper, it's totally different than doing it. <laughs> it just um, looked like so yeah. much work. Yeah. And I just commend you for sticking with it. And I mean, it can't be, the album is amazing. And you've heard Vanessa, if you listen to the podcast on some of the transitions that we've done, but I think the work definitely paid off. Thank you so much. And I've learned like so much of the process where I think I can definitely be more efficient the next time <laughs> I do the next recording. Um, it's a learning process. it was like, it was really, it's a work of art. Like it was a full scale production. We had like two days in New Jersey with like the best union musicians you could get with like a full string section, a full horn section. Like it's a very robust production. Um, David Fink is like one of the top bassists in New York city. I think he is the number one bass jazz bassist, but he produced the whole thing for me and got me like amazing musicians to work on it and, and an amazing, um, arranger as well. 
Why did you choose these particular songs? Oh, wow. So this was like, this was a process, but I scoured like my grandfather's CDs, his mob hits records. (laughs) 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 Um, And then, you know, wrote down everything I remember singing with him growing up and and, and added, extrapolated on that as well. And um, listened to everything. And I wanted to make sure that I could make it my own and bring something different to the song. If I felt like it couldn't be redone in a way that was unique, that expressed it in a different way, I just didn't do it. If it didn't sound believable coming from my voice. And also if I didn't like emotionally connect with the lyrics. So I went through that process of like singing everything on the list, whittling down and then culling it down to a list where I could just focus on how can I bring this to life in a different way? For example, O Sole Mio, it's been done a million times as an opera song, but what I realized is that the English version that was brought to the U.S., like Elvis Presley's version, um, it's now or never, come hold me tight. Um, he, he, uh, I don't think I ever made lyrics, that connection. Oh, until, yeah? Like, <laughs> just, it makes so much sense now that you've said it, but I don't think I ever made that connection. It has like nothing to do with the meaning of the original lyric. Right. And, the uh, melody is similar. Yeah. The melody is exactly the same, but, and so I was like, you know what? I should do that. I should sing the original lyrics in Italian and then write English lyrics that actually express that meaning so people can understand it. And I always thought, you know, it's all about seeing the sunshine in someone's face. I always thought it should be sung more in a more ethereal style versus so bold and operatic. And so that's what I did. And I did that with a lot, with a lot of the songs, most of the songs on the album. Yeah, so the album, just to kind of give everyone a rundown, like Vanessa said, is a lot of classic Italian songs, but put with a jazz spin on them. And in a a lot of them, Vanessa, you add, like you said, you add some lyrics potentially to some of the songs. So it's it's just different. It's got a different vibe. And um, it's interesting because you've heard these songs before. I'm sure you've heard many of the songs before, but you just haven't heard them in this way. So, which again, shows like the time and effort that was put into it, which is great. Well, it's fresh. It's like the title of the album indicates. <laughs> right. That's the point. <laughs> a little bit of a double entendre there. Right. And something I should, I should also mention is, um, you know, a lot of these songs were typically sung by male Italian-American mm-hmm. artists. And I wanted to bring a female voice and also choose songs that had a little bit of a feminist twist, like Walliona. It's all about this Walio chasing a woman twice his age in Italy, thinking he could get her because he has a lot of bravado. And she said, listen, little boy, if you got me, you wouldn't know what to do with me. So go home to your mommy. <laughs> and I loved it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is a great song. That was like way ahead of its time. I have to sing this song. <laughs> it's a great choice. Um, one of my favorites is on the album Tuo Fa uh, L'Americano is one of my favorites. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's a fun one. Renato yeah. Carasone. Yeah, <laughs> love that version. And yours, I mean, it's like you said, it's a, I can listen to both versions and it's the same song, but but they're not the same. And especially yeah. like you just said, coming from a female voice, singing that song is also a little bit different, has a little spin on it as well. Yeah. And I think the one thing too, that's nice about it is like, it is fresh and for kids, like, you know, I'll play it in the house and the kids get a kick out of it. It's upbeat. Ah. And, and I think that <laughs> that's, that's, great. Im- that's important. Like, you know, keeping like, like Dolores and I always talk about evolving different traditions. And so taking some of these classic songs and changing them up, putting a little fresh spin on them. And then maybe that'll, you know, that'll help the younger generation connect with some of the older traditions and songs and music exactly which i think Absolutely. is great. I, I should also say that my mother uh drives around listening to your um cd by the way really oh my god yeah. i'm so honored Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> i uh i gave her the copy that you gave me i was like you should listen to this i think you'll really like it and i got into her car one day and it was playing she's like no she's great i love it oh yeah. that is so that sooner but didn't get around to it yeah <laughs> She loves those old Italian songs, you know, she listens to them all the time. I love, uh, I love hearing that, that it like appeals to both generations. Like it was something that was very evident to me when I did the Boston festival at St. Anthony's feast. Um, there were baby boomers and millennials 
in the audience, both like jam into the music. And I was like, this is what I wanted. <laughs> I wanted to. <laughs> it is great. I know. I mean, Anthony was just talking about his kids and then I'm talking about my mother. And then of course we love it. And I think that's very, it's great regardless, but it's also very Italian American, you know, something that it's like the whole family from the youngest to the oldest can resonate with and, and uh, enjoy together. Yeah, absolutely. I well, think, I think that, that that's great. So Vanessa, when you finished the album and you actually, for the first time, had it in your hands or, you know, you had it and you were done with it. Like, how did you feel after everything you went through? I felt like relieved, accomplished. I took lots of photos of it and put it on Facebook, <laughs> but then also like overwhelmed because the real work starts. Now you've got to promote it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now someone a, has to you, buy it. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you did all that work and now you get to do even more work. And right. and your parents, uh, how do they feel about you? You know, you in general, meaning like your career, but also this project in particular, which I'm sure is you know very kind of close to their hearts. Yeah, they're they're so funny. Like um, people always say that your parents are always going to love what you do, but <laughs> my parents are like my worst critics. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping it real, you feel. They'll, they'll listen to, it. and I think that's probably like what has enabled me to do this because I have thick skin because of that. Right. Like if people like give me feedback, I take it and I improve. And, you know, if I don't believe in it, then I ignore it, you know, <laughs> and, uh, they were like, I don't get it. Why are you doing this? People can't understand what you're saying in Italian. And they're like, why are you taking this song? You're singing it so slow. Why is it so slow? And I'm like, <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> it's important to like hear that too, you know, and so I, I, I get like real time feedback <laughs> and very, very, uh, I didn't expect that response, but it, it, I think it it's Italian American. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I should have expected it. I should have, I don't know. We don't get it. I mean, I mean, we're proud of her, but what, why are you doing that? <laughs> like when you, when are you going to sing I Will Always Love You again? Whitney Houston. <laughs> sing that song so well. <laughs> that's that's funny. So, so Vanessa, what, tell us about what's going on now. You're obviously promoting the album. I'm, I'm assuming you're out there on a regular basis performing. Tell us about what your schedule looks like now and, you know, what you, how you try to get the album out there. Yeah, sure, sure. So I've been rapidly booking. Um, a lot of things are in the works, but I have a good schedule in Florida coming up. Um, I'll be at the Taste of Italy festivals at uh, Tradition, which is in Port St. Lucie on January 26th and 27th. Um, then I have a Friars Club induction ceremony coming up in February. March 3rd and 4th, I'll be in Lauderdale. I'll be doing Festa Italiana in Tampa on April 7th and 8th. Wow. I'll be at the Galbani Festival yeah. in Buffalo. Yes, yeah, so 14th and 15th. So yeah, so these are just like tip of the iceberg because um, I know a lot of the festivals don't book until like maybe three months out, but a good schedule thus far. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, and I've the, already seen you perform twice just in what, like the past four months, five months? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Huh. We kept running into each other. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. Yeah, you, you did a wonderful job at the the gala the national italian american Good. foundation gala um, that's a big gig yeah oh my big. god i was so so nervous and then john was so nice to like sit me with dina martin but it wow. made me more nervous <laughs> i was like she said i hear you're singing my father's songs tonight and i was like oh um, what is your name and she's like deanna martin and i was like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> You didn't know. That's so funny. Oh, wow. That's great. And then did you guys, did you, did she say anything to you afterwards? Did you see her? Yes. She was so nice. And she was like, I love what you're doing with my father's songs, which was so nice to hear because she could have said nothing. And she asked for my album and I gave it to her. And, uh, then I, I think she travels like 285 days of the year or something ridiculous. So I think she went to go save her voice after that. So they didn't see her at the, at the after party. But, um, I said to her, I was like, how do you keep your instrument up to par? And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> <It's very laughs> I haven't cool. figured it out yet. 
you know, we were, I was wondering actually when we, when we first, uh, started talking to you because I thought of Lena Prima because she was also at the gala and actually, uh, Anthony and I were sitting with her. I don't know if you had a chance to meet her as well. I um, didn't. Yeah. We'll have to I maybe would love, love to. You. Yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to try and connect you for sure. Vanessa, talk about for a minute, following up on what you just mentioned there, what it takes physically to do this. Cause I know you and I talked a little bit and you have to kind of like really keep your voice in tone. I mean, I'm sure most people aren't aware of that. Can you just talk about that for a minute? Absolutely. And I have some like <laughs> funny Italian American, I guess, comments of, from those who aren't aware of the physical demands of singing. Like I think typically people think of, um, if you're a singer, you just wake up and you sing, like you don't need to warm it up. You don't need to keep it up. That's just like an innate talent. You just do it. But I compare it to being an athlete, right? Like you have an innate talent, but you have to work on it. You need a coach to improve. You need to constantly be like doing drills um, to make sure that your muscles are up to par. And it's the same thing with your vocal cords. They're muscles, right? Like anything else. And you need to constantly be vocalizing daily. Um, I have a singing coach because it's so funny. My mother's friends would be like, so you take lessons? You don't need lessons, right? You don't need lessons. I'm like, yeah, of course I take lessons and I'm proud of it. There's no reason. Of course, if you're a professional singer, you always have to be like keeping your instrument in tip top shape. And uh, she's like, oh, I know somebody, they sing, they don't take lessons. I'm like, well, that's great. Like, <laughs> Is this a daily but, uh, practice or? Absolutely. I mean, I take breaks. You do have to give yourself breaks too. Like that's as important as the vocalization. Like you should be like not speaking maybe like one day a week. My husband loves that day. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I want a day like that. Oh, gosh. <laughs> gosh, I feel like I need to vocalize, like, you know, work on my voice for the, these podcasts. I feel like we've been doing so much yeah. talking. It's like, you know, your, your vocal cords definitely, uh, Definitely take a beating. I mean, I went once to a doctor just because I had lost my voice a few times in one year and they were like, oh, yeah. everything, everything looks okay. But based on the nature of your profession and you do a lot of speaking and you need to maybe, you know, go see someone, I forget the, the name, uh, someone like a vocal or something like about speaking from more from the stomach as opposed yep. to like yep. using your throat. So <clears throat> absolutely. I can help you with that too. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, Vanessa, before we wrap up here, tell us about any projects. Do you have any projects coming up or things that you're really looking forward to that you want to share or? Yeah, I, I, I was thinking of whether or not I should share this. Maybe I'll like half share it because I want to keep it a surprise. <laughs> but my friend, uh, Danny and I, um, are working on an upcoming show. Um, and, uh, it's related to an Italian American singer and a lot of the work of Louis Prima. So, more, more to come on that, but, um, it should be fun. <laughs> Vanessa, I have one question for you actually, before we say goodbye, researching all these songs, listening to them, performing them, has that process taught you anything about our heritage? Oh, absolutely. Like, because when you, perform a song, you need to really internalize those lyrics. Um, and I had many sessions with my uncle who's from Napoli to understand why they were written that way. Like, right. Like a lot of the songs originated in maybe the 1800s, like say to Miami and she la luna mezzo mare. And, uh, love that one. It, too. That's another one of my favorites. Oh, thank you. And I did, yeah, I did that one in a creepy way, but, um, <laughs> it teaches you a lot about, you know, the people of the day when it was written and a lot about more about the culture and why they write things the way they do and say things the way they do. So it was, it was a study on culture in addition to music. Oh, not to put you on the spot, but it, I mean, is there something about Chela Luna in particular that is indicated by how it's written? Like something about the time and the people? Oh, well, absolutely. It's all about <laughs> it's all about a, uh, a mother trying to pick the right man for her father. And it's so funny, like how for much, her daughter, I, I'm sorry for her daughter. That's what I meant. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that would be I, I knew you meant that, but I just, <laughs> <laughs> just make sure we're clear here. <laughs> That's right. Um, and it's so funny how much things have changed, but, but also haven't changed at all because I feel like my, my mother did that for me, but, um, right. it was very much, you know, at the time it was written, it was your parents chose who 
who you were going to marry. And so that's how the song, that's what the song is all about. <laughs> it is. It's a very, speaking of Freshka song, I mean, a lot of double entendres in that one. Classic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for getting that. <laughs> and also, uh, we met your husband at the <laughs> gala. Your, uh, I guess you could call him your, uh, your staff. <laughs> He was, at, <laughs> he was at the booth there and, you know, definitely shout out to him because he, I know you work around the clock and, um, so I'm sure it sounds like he's been very helpful and, and, and supportive. And he was, uh, he was there at the booth. He, the, Vanessa's booth was right across from our booth. So, um, she was back and forth on stage and her husband, is it Joe? Was it Joe? Yes, Joe. Joe, Joe Joe was there and he was playing your music all day and and talking to people. So just give him a little little shout out. He deserves it. No, that's nice. You're you're absolutely right. I couldn't, I literally couldn't do it without him because I don't have a team of people, right? I don't have like an entourage who's helping me. It's just me and Joe. And when I'm on stage, I need people running around selling CDs or uh, helping me sound check and being out in the crowd and listening to how it sounds and he does all of that and never complains and he's the best. <laughs> yeah, Very sweet. That's great. All right. So Vanessa Rachi, the website is vanessaracci.com and Vanessa, the album's pretty much available. You can find it through your website and online. I would assume. Yep. Right? You can get it on my website, vanessaracci.com, iTunes, CD baby, Amazon, or stream it, but it's better to buy it. <laughs> yeah. And we'll link to it um, on our show notes, right now. Yeah, we definitely will. And you, like I said, you've heard Vanessa, if you've been a listener with some of the transitions, and in fact, you'll hear her as well in some of the transitions in this episode. So you can hear a little bit of the songs that we've been talking about here in your interview. So Vanessa, thank you so much for spending some time with us. We will definitely keep an eye on where you're going and, you know, hopefully come and and catch up with you and see some of your performances. So thank you. No problem. Thank you guys so much for having me and doing this wonderful interview. It was awesome. Now it's time for the Italian-American story segment of the episode. This is the part of the show where we try to bring you back to your family gatherings or conversations, or we try to play a recording or a story from some of our listeners. In this episode, I got a really interesting message from the authors of this book, Bebop, Swing, and Bella Musica, Jazz and the Italian-American Experience. And I thought it would be a great story segment since we were interviewing Vanessa, who's obviously a jazz singer. And Bill Dalcero and David Anthony, they're great guys, really knowledgeable about a very niche topic of kind of the Italian roots in jazz. And so I don't need to say more. We'll jump into the interview here with these guys and you'll hear a little bit about how they, you know, came about on this very niche topic and really some some about their work, which to me is really interesting. So here we go. All right, and now I'm excited to be joined by Bill Dalcero and David Anthony Witter, authors of Bebop, Swing, and Bella Musica, Jazz and the Italian-American Experience. Guys, welcome to the Italian-American Podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Yes, great to be here. All right, so the first thing that I have to ask you is, this is a very interesting topic, jazz and the Italian-American component of the jazz movement, so to speak. And I'm wondering, what made you guys interested in this very specific topic? Bill and I were both con- uh, correspondents for Fanoi, which is the, it's the national Italian-American publication uh, primarily based out of Chicago. And I was writing about jazz artists, as was Bill, and uh, I would interview someone like Louis Belson and uh, just, just a marvelous person with a, a fantastic life and a career that spanned, you know, six decades and, and several eras. As wonderful as Cornoy is, we have to put it into a five to eight hundred word story. And I don't think Louis Belson's life can be contained in a five to eight hundred word story. So I had material, as did Bill, wonderful material on the lives of these men and they decades-long careers, and we said, this is just, we just have to expand this. We have to tell the whole story. Sure. And just to kind of set the scene for this conversation we're having here with our listeners, I mean, a lot of times when you think of jazz, you know, people think of it as a very American movement, but the bottom line is, is that it has you know, roots that go into Italian history. I mean, and some of the, and we've had 
Lena Prima, Louis Prima's daughter on the podcast. And, um, you know, there are many Italians that were involved in jazz, especially like out of New Orleans. And that's what these gentlemen have explored. So, Bill, why don't you talk a little bit about, for our listeners that aren't maybe familiar with the jazz movement and maybe the Italian component of it, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Bill? Well, it's prim- yeah, it's prim- this is Bill Del Ciro speaking. This is pri- jazz, as you know, is primarily an African-American art form. But New Orleans, such a fascinating city, a melting pot, literally, back in the early 1900s. And the Italians were a part of that whole, what somebody once called the gumbo of jazz. It's primarily African-American, like I said, but there were many other elements and uh, ethnic groups that kind of contributed to it, either peripherally or a little more closer to the center. And Italians were pretty central, as Dave can attest. He's done a lot of research on the early years, but Italians started coming to New Orleans in the 1850s, 5-0. I mean, that's like 30 years before the Great Wave. So they were already there. And in fact, they were the dominant ethnic group by the 1890s. And what did they bring with them with Italy other than foodstuff? Their musical talents. Uh, Many Italians, even if they were from the peasant class, were into music. They played folk music, classical music. They listened to operas. Even before phonographs, they they knew all the arias and all that kind of stuff. So they brought that musical talent with them And it was just natural as they lived next door, pretty much in similar neighborhoods with African-Americans. There was some cross-fertilization going on in terms of musical ideas. It was inevitable that um, a lot of the Italians' gifts for musicality and improvisation, even their sense of humor in the way they play music, found its way into jazz. And Dave can speak more to that. Yeah, you know, many, many, many Sicilians were came to New Orleans to play in the French opera. And, uh, you know, many of them their children, they grew up with music, and this was the American form of music, and they just sort of took to it. Another aspect which we detailed in the book was the Saints days, in, which are very prominent, of course, in Italy. And the band marches through the street with the procession sure. and the statue of the Saints. You know, we still have those in Chicago. And it was our theory, which has not been disputed, that, that this influenced the, the jazz funeral, where these marching bands saw the processions marching through the streets for the Saints Day, and even the song when the Saints go marching in may have been derived from watching the parade. Yeah, and I yeah. will I will say, and I'm not an expert on this topic, obviously you guys are the experts, but just from interviewing a lot of people and talking to a lot of older Italian-Americans that remember the immigrant experience in some way, when you came here as an immigrant, it was difficult, of course. A lot of them came with no money. They they stood, they, you know, they kind of huddled together in these Italian neighborhoods. But I do know from speaking with a lot of them that the music and going to see some of these performers, you know, is what really kept them together, kept them in a community, gave them some hope or just gave them some fun, really, in, in a life that wasn't that fun at the time. It's also an escape from sort of poverty and, and in many ways, discrimination. Italians in New Orleans were very much discriminated against. There was a there was a lynching of Italian Americans in New Orleans. Was, I think they're the largest mass lynching in the United States, and yeah. it was of Italian American immigrants and Nicaragua. Many of the uh, great jazz musicians from the early days of New Orleans remember this. In fact, we interviewed Sam Butera, who was the saxophonist arranger and probably best friend of Louis Prima, and he said that there was a phrase called "Who killed the chief." Yeah. that the other ethnic groups would shout out, even as well into the 1930s, is sort of an epitaph of hatred or a, just a, a cutdown of Italian-Americans referring to that mention. Right. So, you know, he grew up in Prima, Butera grew up with this sort of, uh, in this environment. It's good to talk about these topics on the podcast because, I mean, I learned about the lynching and reading the book the Italian Americans, which was the book associated with the PBS series, which gave a lot of good history. And then I had the honor of being able to do a podcast segment down at the Italian American Museum in New Orleans yeah, and read some more about that. And, you know, it's important this is all a part of our history, um, which is the whole reason that we created the podcast to try to help people understand that. And when we interviewed Lena Prima, actually, she said the same thing, even though her father died when she was young, she remembered that the other Italians at the time, you know, he was a hero, basically. You know, yeah, I believe yeah, they, yeah. they didn't. Which I think Louis Prima was one of the first quote white entertainers to perform at black nightclubs. Because yeah, this is. Come on. 
This is like another. This is another stream of our book or thread that it it also promoted a lot of integration, racial yeah. harmony. Music brought people together. Um, Louis Prima was one of the. You know, not only did musically bring them together, but literally in the same room, Louis Prima was the first white performer to perform at the Apollo Theater. Um, Louis Belson was the first drummer to play in an all African American band. Duke Ellington's band. And, and Bill, you can go on about the first integrated band. Yeah, Joe Marsala from Chicago. We researched this. He was a band leader here. Ended up going to New York in the 1930s at the Hickory House, which is a very famous jazz club. He grew up with African Americans in the city of Chicago, had an affinity for them, saw how horribly they were treated. And he kind of made it his life's work, he and his brother Joe, to integrate jazz. And in 1936 in New York, and this is documented through Leonard Feather, the great uh, jazz historian. He was one of the first to actively recruit African-Americans and bring them into jazz to kind of open the doors, which is something actually decades later, Frank Sinatra, who was a much, much bigger celebrity than Joe Mar- uh, Marsala in the 1960s and 70s, was very active in the civil rights movement and even is pretty much credited with desegregating Las Vegas because they wouldn't allow Sammy Davis to come play with the Rack Pack. And Frank Sinatra apparently said, Sammy doesn't play, or if you don't let him stay at my hotel, I'm not going to play any kind of open doors. And we were actually, we did a presentation at the Harold Washington Library uh, in Chicago last year, primarily an African-American audience. And boy, it was both humbling and inspiring. They knew all the stories. They were applauding Frank Sinatra. They knew the history. They mentioned Louis Belson's marriage to Pearl Bailey back in the 1950s, a very interracial romance, which kind of broke taboos. So the African-American community has been very supportive of what we're doing. They see this link that scholars often don't, and it's kind of inspiring. Hmm. That's that's really interesting, actually, especially yeah. in, the, in the world we live in today. Um, Absolutely. You know, where we've had issues. So let me ask you guys this question. Do you think that performers like Louis Prima, Italian-Americans and Italian immigrants we know started very low on, on on the ladder as far as being respected. It took a long time to garner respect in this country. They were treated terribly. There's lots of documentation around it. Do you think that the success of some of these performers like Louis Prima helped to elevate the culture, helped to change the way people looked at Italians? Especially uh, Frank Sinatra, of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, He's probably, I mean, I, I welcome anybody to argue this with me. He's probably the most prominent entertainer of the 20th century, uh, music, movies, film, television, sure. and he's an Italian-American. So the argument just more or less begins and ends there. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and of course, there's so many others. And also, go on, Phil. I was just going to say, just to back up on what Dave said, too, Louis Prima, because you mentioned Prima. Back in the 1940s, when we were at war in Europe, Louis Prima was actually singing jazz songs in Italian, which actually gave Italian-Americans a lot of pride during the war years. So he was definitely a hero. Yeah, because we also interviewed Franco Harris, I'm sure you guys oh, are sure. familiar with from the you know, Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh Steelers, yeah. Franco's sure. Army. And, yeah, exactly, Franco's Army. And, you know, a lot of people... When they just know Franco Harris without knowing a lot of the history, they don't realize that he's Italian and his mother was very Italian. And, you know, we had him on the podcast and it was it was very interesting. And there was a scene in one of the videos and we asked him and we talked to him about it where Frank Sinatra came and met him. At, I think oh. it was before one of the games and they like officially kind of said like, you know, we welcome Frank Sinatra to Franco's army. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And it was interesting just to see, you know, this marriage between music and sports. And then you have, you know, of course, his an interracial marriage with Franco Harris. Sure. So it was interesting kind of bringing all these different cultures and, and things together. And then again, like right in the middle of all of it, again, is Frank Sinatra, who, who like you said, Dave, is such a big person in, in terms of performers and just celebrities in, in kind of the history of the country. Well, Miles Davis, uh, one of the great uh, jazz players of all time from Moline, Illinois, well, Peoria, rather, I'm sorry. He was a big Sinatra fan, too. He really loved Frank's style of singing. And uh, like I said, a lot of these Italian-American jazz artists have been more appreciated, I think, probably, among African-Americans and our own people. But we just have to get the story out. And like we were, you had mentioned earlier, it's not really just about jazz. The book is also about immigration history. It's got personal stories. There's a chapter on women in jazz, Italian-American women. 
And there's also a chapter on jazz in Italy because the jazz scene in Europe, it's really smoking in Italy. They're doing some great things over there. So as we kind of wrap up here, guys, what, tell us what you're doing now. Do you go around and then speak on these topics? How, how are you spreading the word about what you're doing? Yeah, well, we'll be, uh, we'll be in New Orleans at the Italian Cultural Center there on uh, March 9th giving a presentation. We've given a lot of presentations at libraries, bookstores, uh, and all these types of things. And we've also gotten a lot of support from the musicians themselves. Joe Lovano, the Grammy award-winning saxophone player, has been sort of promoting our book. And just the other day, I saw Frank Catalano, a great jazz, probably one of the greatest young jazz saxophone players on the scene period. Mm -hmm. I saw him at a nightclub a couple days ago you know, he's still very high on our book and he takes us with him to Greenwich Village and so forth. Hmm. Yeah, and also too, it's, uh, it's Christmas season having just passed. It never really feels like Christmas to me unless I hear Linus and Lucy on the radio, the ultimate Christmas song from a Charlie Brown Christmas <laughs> by, by the Vince Guarali trio from San Francisco. And Vince Guarali is another name that people revere on the West Coast. And here's this, you know, Italian-American who came up with this beautiful, poetic, jazzy score for a children's cartoon, which everybody remembers. And you hear it around Christmas time. And every time I hear that, I'm like, boy, I wonder how many people know that an Italian-American created this work of art for American culture. So we're trying to get facts like that out to the public. I just want to say, you know, th thank you guys for what you're doing. I'm really interested in these niche topics. Um, I think that all these niche kind of specialty topics put together is really what makes up our culture. And we need people kind of to look into each aspect of our culture and kind of bring it to light and share it. So I want to thank again, Bill Del Cero and David Anthony Witter. They are authors of Bebop, Swing and Bella Musica, Jazz and the Italian American Experience. For more information, you can visit their website, which is italiansinjazz.com. It's got some info about the book, some reviews, um, really interesting stuff, guys. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. So do I. Thank you. Happy New Year. So I hope you enjoyed this jazz-themed episode. Vanessa Rachi is amazing. Check out her album at VanessaRachi.com. And if you really want to learn more about jazz and, and the roots going back, check out Bebop Swing and Bella Music of the Book. And with that, I'm going to kick it back over to Dolores so she can take us out. Okay, Amici, remember that we are on social media and we have a good time on social media. So please join us. We are on Instagram at Italian American, on Twitter at Ital American, and we're on Facebook at Italian American Podcast. A dopo!